so yeah, I've watched a few films this period, but I think oh, yeah. from what you've said, you've watched several more. <laughs> I have watched one or two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've I've been in the game zone, which obviously we'll cover okay. in um outside of Kino Kingdom in the state of place. But yeah. um th- just to quickly oh, I've made a little list. It's a very short list of the films I've watched. Um two of them involved you. It was Jungle Ground with Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, and Dumb and Dumber, which we watched together, uh, and well, you're virtually together. And then I watched Child's Play, the remake, which I believe you've seen. Yes. And then I watched Haywire. Oh yes, I've seen that as well. Yes. And I'm not going to count it because I fell asleep because I was drunk. But I watched half of The Man from Uncle as well because I fancy Henry Cavill and Army yes. Hammer. But uh, yeah, I fell asleep not for any reason. Okay. Fault of the film. So you're not but... you you're not going to discuss Man from Uncle. No, but if you have seen it, feel free to. Yeah. I, I have seen it. I, 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 it didn't really leave much of an impression on me. I thought it was no worse than you know any other of these types of Mission Impossible type movies, really. Uh, and I, I think it's definitely the kind of thing he's quite well suited to, uh, as in like obviously he's a very kind of clean cut hero type. Um, it, it, much more clean cut than his Superman, in fact, because of course Zack Snyder hates Superman, so it's yeah, <laughs> there's that strange situation. But um, yeah, it was. I remember quite liking it, but it seemed very slight. You know, it didn't really have any particular Grit. emotional resonance to it at all. It did and tickle I think, me how Henry Cavill was clearly too buff for the character. Yes, like he's so it, filling he's out, in the bursting out of his suit, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so but yeah, the closest well, he's going to get to being Bond, I suppose. I don't think he's going to be the next James Bond. So, no, no. I thought, I thought was it Idris Elba was going to be the next Bond? Uh, there was talk of it. I, he might be getting on a bit now, though. I don't know because he's true. probably in his fifties now, isn't he? So yeah, that's true. Is he? I don't know. He maybe just looks a bit bedraggled. But yeah, <laughs> it would be good. Uh, it, yeah, it would be good to mix up uh, next Bond, perhaps. Yeah. But As then in, if it was Henry Cavill, again, I wouldn't mind. Oh, that'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what have you been um, showing your eyes this month? Uh, well, I, I, I was going to start for the a trio of John Carpenter films I haven't, hadn't seen before. Um, uh, I've watched Extraction, the, nice. as we talked about it last time. Um, and then sort of vaguely on the back of that, I watched 21 Bridges. Um, I watched... An obscure 80s horror called White of the Eye. I watched right of the Eye. White of the Eye. Oh, White of the Eye, sorry. Um, I watched Kindergarten Cop, um, The Money Pit, and Days of Thunder. So we've got quite a few to get through. When I think of Money Pit, I, I want to know what you. The one scene I remember from Money Pit is where he loses his mind when he's stuck in the floor. One of the ever seen. That particular uh, scene is genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I haven't seen it for a very long time, but I- I've got it like a- an image of it in my mind. And it's funny because he's only there for three hours, but he like goes through all <laughs> the emotional spectrum in that time. Uh, it's, it's, he's singing it's... a song to himself. I don't even know what the song is. In fact, you can't really tell what the song is, but it's the way he's singing it because he's like, it's almost like he's getting bored 
of hearing his own voice. So he keeps putting on like different voices and like shouting it at himself. And it's like he's getting really frustrated. But then he starts laughing maniacally. It's just brilliant. It's so perfect. The only when I that money pit, there's another similar film called with Chevy Chasing called Funny Farm. And it's not a particularly good film. But the one scene that I always remember is the whole because obviously Chevy Chase, it's obviously they've got him in there based off his kind of Clark Griswold character with like, mm. the kind of relentless family cheer, regardless of like everything that's gone on around him. And there's a scene in that where it's just him and his wife and she's completely against this whole thing. He's bought this house in the country that needs loads of work. It's clearly a huge mistake from the get-go. And it's uh, they, it, about a quarter of the way into the film they're like none of this stuff has turned up and they're like lying covered in newspapers in like a leaky huge living room and it's like mm. thunder and lightning outside and there's like rain pounding in through the roof and they're just like lying in this like makeshift bed they've done and his wife just the scene starts and his wife just says this has been a huge mistake and i don't want to <laughs> be here and then he's like he's oh, oh come on honey come on you're just gonna be positive it's just bit teething problems everything will be fine in the morning and he gives her like a peck on the cheek and turns away from it and then you just hear like <laughs> just crying himself to sleep like the facade is broken and uh, that always stayed with me so anyway um yeah, yeah. you've got more to go through than me so you're going to start All off right. with some jc yeah let's start off with some let's get these these john carboner movies rounded up because these were the uh i guess these are his last three films actually vampires ghosts of mars and the ward i don't know if he did any others in between that did you do That's... another one after ghosts of mars no no i don't think he did no. So Vampires was in 1998. This is the one about uh, with James Woods, the yeah. delightful James Woods, yeah. as a um, as a leader of like a pack of vampire hunters, naturally including <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, <laughs> the man who you'd wanted your side, and a, and Mark Boone Jr. Of course, um, who you'd know if you saw him. He's like rent a slob who he crops up in like Seven and Batman Begins. He's the He's always like a slobbish guy, but yeah, he's in it. Um, Mark Boone Jr. Yeah, you, you definitely know him if you saw him. Um, <laughs> um, it's kind of like a, it's sort of like a reverse near dark in a way. So it's got, it's like, it's the same kind of sweaty southern atmosphere, and and it's the same depiction of a kind of debauched subculture, like in Near Dark these va- it's the vampires you're watching and then become like really quite depraved um because of their years you know on the road and, and in this it's it's actually the the group themselves who are a little bit debauched um it's got it it's very very much in john carpenter's wheelhouse i mean it, it's got good gore effects and it's quite well directed uh it's quite fast paced and the main vampire played by thomas ian griffith is uh is very good um and carpenter does a music so he's got this kind of dusty blues rock score good. so that's good good with a bit of synths in there as well match um well, he's not a stupid man is he <laughs> uh and there's there's quite a kind of comic book sense of tone uh which is good the plot is pretty thin i mean they're really just going around just chasing vampires really and it's just uh they like there's this main vampire essentially who they're trying to get rid of because otherwise he can he's the key to vampires taking over the world um i i think i read up a little bit about it and i think it was criticized at the time for not having no kind of sympathetic characters although I, to be fair 
James Woods, I mean, he his character is pretty horrible in it and grotesque, but given the stuff that he has... Not a real stretch for him, really. (laughs) (laughs) Given the stuff that he has to actually do in the film, like decapitating all his dead friends and stuff, I mean, it's kind of understandable that... That he would be quite hardened. Yes. And I must admit, the way that Cheryl Lee, uh, the original Laura Palmer, the way she's treated is a bit questionable. Like, her being tied to the bed naked when she's suspected to be a vampire and, like, being beaten up by Daniel Baldwin is a bit... It is a bit much, but um, it... And, and something occurred to me when I was watching Vampires. I think about the time it was made, like like late nineties, I guess. So, um, and it, it's sort of weirdly out of touch with the time, because I was thinking about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? So you've got like strong female character, young cast, and then you've got John Carpenter's Vampires, with which is all about middle aged men and like female objectification. So it does seem weirdly out of. And Blade, um, Blade was 98 as well, wasn't it? Oh, Blade, yeah. Blade came, uh, came late on as well, yeah. Um, yeah, so the last half hour is really good, where they go to Santiago, and it's just a big kind of them trying to draw the vampires out into the light. That's quite cool. Um, I will I will watch this. I've seen it a few yeah. times over the years, but always when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, and I just remember them all wearing leather jackets in, like, searing dry heat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and... Oh, it's such a sweaty film, yeah. Is Danny um, Trejo in it? No, I don't oh, they think so. Trick there. They missed yeah. a trick. I keep seeing Danny Trejo in films, but he isn't in that. Um, it's because you so, only watch from Dust Till Dawn and repeat, Rupert. <laughs> um, so overall, I'd say that In the Mouth of Madness was the last great Carpenter film, but Vampires is quite good. Is that with Jürgen Prochnov that we saw? Ma- in the Mouth of Madness was with Sam Neill. And Jürgen Prochnov is the is main... He, is he in it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His hair is astonishing in that film. It's really good. Nice. He looks like David Dickinson. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to Ghosts of Mars, 2001. Okay. Um, in, in a way, it, this almost feels like a kind of ac- uh, a response to the accusations of misogyny and vampires. Um, because it's set in... Uh, have you seen it? No, no. I keep on mixing this up in my head with Red Planet. Yeah, there were a lot of Mars films around that time, and they all completely flopped. Um, but yeah, and it, it's set in a like a matriarchal future, right? So obviously, like women are in positions of power all over the place. Although it doesn't seem to have any effect on male female relations whatsoever. Basically, <laughs> you, you basically got like the kind of swaggering male hero is Jason Statham um, with a bit of hair, and he <laughs> and he's just he's just a, a a, a lech, really. I mean, it, it's like he's not charming at all. Um, Natasha Henstridge is good. She's really quite commanding in the lead role, and she does some decent fights and stuff. And there's there's quite good makeup effects. Um, but the editing in the film for it is astonishing. It's so bad from, and it's from the kind of script level up as well, because it's got loads of confusing flashbacks, and sometimes it has flashbacks within flashbacks. Like everyone they meet. It, there's a flashback to how they got there and then sometimes within that flashback it'll jump back again it's like what why is it structured like this it doesn't need to be the whole thing is essentially a flashback because it's her telling the story so yeah and, and it's weird how bad and clunky the action looks in this because it was quite competently done in vampires so i guess it must be to do with the editing i mean the fight choreography looks very clunky and old-fashioned and, and i I just don't think Carpenter is very good at doing kind of big scale action. 
sequences. He's fine at doing like. Was this a big budget film then? Well, I think it was pretty big. Yeah, I think it's like thirty million, which is pretty decent mid budget, and it was a cinema release in that. But I think obviously it flopped. But it it was almost like too much money for Carpenter, and, and like when it starts kicking off and like it's like big gun battles and that, it just looks bad. I mean, and, and this was significant time after something like Starship Troopers or something like that, where obviously the big scale action was done very well. So. That was like 97. Yeah, so it's quite... Mm, so. That film is weirdly, weirdly holds up very, very well. When I, when I watched Astonishing that film. When I watched Starship Troopers as a kid, I just thought, oh, this is clearly been like, what, 13 or 14. And I watched it a load of times thinking, oh, this is just a really cool, you know, yeah. action film. There's you see, you see a bit of boob in it and it's quite gory and stuff. And it's very video game in its presentation. But when you watch it as an adult, you think this actually stands up really, really well. It does. Not just on the technical side of things, but of course because you recognize the kind of sat- satire part of it as well uh, with yeah. Starship Troopers and the and it's got a very clear kind of concept behind it essentially that um, it's really trying to depict how exciting it is for young people to feel included with basically joining um, like a fascist army really it's almost like the it's like Hitler youth isn't it really it's like it well, Neil it's Patrick the, Harris at the end of it is literally yeah, wearing like SS gear. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, it's depicting the kind of thrill of being involved in something and being made to feel important and stuff. And it's, and it's quite creepy now when you, when you look at it. And they're so patriotic and stuff. It's just... And of and, course, Clancy Brown is in it as well. And Michael Ironside. And, and um, Jake Boosie as well, naturally. Casper Van Dien. Everyone's in. I want to watch it now. Jake <laughs> is the reason I continually keep watching The Frighteners. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my Everyone favorite horror films. It's so good. It's such a film. weirdly dark film. That it's so good. It should have been. Yeah, it's, it's odd, isn't it? It's got some really. It's got some bits which basically have stopped it from being um, a kind of almost Beetlejuicy and classic. Yeah, like a almost family horror classic because it's got loads of bits which are just really go over the line, like. Like pretending to have sex with dead bodies and stuff. It's just yes. <laughs> but I, I I always hoped for a sequel to that because I re it felt really kind of unique in in how it was and the, yeah. the scenes the scenes where like you see the demon stuff they're genuinely creepy how it's presented. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's so Ghost of Mars is bad, but yeah, not it's watchable. You so 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 far vampires is is the winner of the of the final. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Films. I mean, there's a big plunge between Vampires and Ghost of Mars. I'd say Vampires was the start of the decline. Um, is and Ghost then, of Mars, like, is it horror then? Yeah, kind of. Sort of sci-fi horror. More of a, it, it looks like a bad 90s, like, rock video at times, like death metal video. Because mm. all the, this kind of cult on the planet who they're trying to, who they end up gunning down basically and a bunch of like crazy cultists who are decapitating people but don't forget that this was like a year after event horizon which kind of blended sci-fi and horror pretty well yeah it's not as good as any of the films we mentioned to be honest (laughs) even red planet is better um and then finally i watched the ward from 2010 which was obviously carpenter's last film to date um this was not written by him and the music isn't by him. So, uh, I haven't actually seen it yet. <laughs> and um, 
it's not even really in his wheelhouse to be honest because it's more like a kind of standard modern horror I do kind of bog standard supernatural it's, plot. it's really jump scary from what i remember and yes exactly what i was going to say it's just a series of jump scares and and really the only evidence that it's john carpenter is the widescreen camera work but whatever um amber heard is fine jared harris is fine but the plot is ridiculously predictable and and i know people clamor for john carpenter to direct another film again he's actually younger than steven spielberg i found out by the way so he's oh. still got something i mean he's looked older he's looked about 70 for the past 30 years but well let's get to the change room he looks like david lopan <laughs> <laughs> um i just yeah but i just think i'd rather unless he can write his own film and be given a kind of M. Night Shyamalan type budget, you know, like five million or something by... Uh, he I needs mean, to have total control. Exactly. Uh, he needs total control. And maybe um, and maybe get, you know, Bloomhouse or something just to chuck him a bit of money. I'm surprised they haven't stepped up and said, oh, do you want five million to make whatever you want to make? Yeah. You know, with practical effects. Because people would, it would make its money back. Oh, yeah, just because of his see. name. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be given one last go. I think, yeah, so maybe he's got one more movie in him. No one's going to give him another 30 million. But um, but you think about, like, because I was looking at his filmography, you think about, okay, he had a stretch. He had a run of films from 1974 with Dark Star to 1988 with They Live. And he made in that time 11 really great movies. And... And that's not to mention that the TV movies he made in between, because he made that Elvis biography, which a biopic, which I've never seen. But, but the point is, his legacy is there, so he doesn't need to. I don't think he needs to keep doing that. I, if he just makes keeps making awesome music, I'm fine with that. Yeah, uh, to be honest, it's like if I had a choice of like a new John Carpenter film or a new John Carpenter album, I would probably lean towards an album. Because mm-hmm. it was much. It was um, the John Carpenter as well. What I, I mean. I really like him in, when I've seen him in interviews I re- and when we saw him live. Yes. I, I absolutely love him as a person. And it is, his, he just seems really amiable and like, has a real passion for what he does. But I always remember when um, in an interview someone asked him how he feels about people. It was when the Halloween remake was happening. And, the, mm. and uh, he said, whenever anyone wants to use my films or remake them, he said, I always reach up my hand and they put a check in it. And I put my hand back in my pocket and it was perfect. It was just because I thought he was going to say, reach out my hand, you know, to offer help. No, it was just give me the money. And I, I quite <laughs> like that. I quite like that. It reminds me of an yeah. interview I saw with Michael Madison in, in the early 2000s when someone said, basically, why do you make so much complete trash? And he said, I've got three daughters. He said, I, this is a job. I have to work. It's my job. And I thought it was yeah. a fair point, really. Yeah. And I, I'd rather that honesty than, oh, yeah. well, you know, I just don't don't big it up. Well, I, I think there are certain actors who can afford to, I don't know, pick and choose and take it seriously and be all method about it. Um, but then they're in a privileged position, aren't they? They're not Michael Madsen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Michael Madsen isn't going to be able to, he can't just pick and choose. I think perhaps Nick Cage might be able to pick and choose a bit better, a bit better but you know. He's got, to be, he's got to put food on the table as well. It's <laughs> really funny because he will be amazing in a, fil- a film and then he'll make five total, like, complete bollocks. And, like, you watch him in something like Joe. And I said, oh, my yeah. God, Nick, you're back. And then he makes what well, Into the Light or whatever, all those, like, weird, like, what? And then he'll make three or four films. He's just got yeah. a terrible wig on. And then he'll make... um. 
Mandy, and you're like, oh, it's amazing. And then yeah. you'll make what are you doing, Nick? We're we speak to your agent for God's sake. But on the other hand, I suppose it, we don't know why a lot of these actors do what they do. I mean, it could be in a case you just he went bankrupt. Could be something to do with that, yes. But there could also be. I mean, it could just be purely just loves acting, loves being on set. You know, it's like, it's like Samuel Jackson always says that, doesn't he? He likes yeah. he likes big films and he likes golfing. So it's like, why would he not be constantly yeah. working? Which again, so it's yeah. fine as long as they say it. Yep, I think Samuel L. Jackson is the he is the most profitable film star of all time in terms of how much money his films have made. Which, which is, is absolutely fine. Uh, but then it's because he's so prolific, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose. So yes, that was um, that was the roundup of the final John Carpenter films. Was so... the worse than? Well, I think I found the wood more dispiriting because it was like they just brought him in as like a hack director. Like he did, he didn't write mm. it. Like he just did did it, and, and then and it was crap. And it's like, okay, well, that was that then. Yeah, I almost wouldn't mind it if it, that had happened because he. I mean, there's it's technically competent and it's no worse than any other crap I see nowadays, you know, like the nun or something like that. You know, it's just, it's the same stuff, but it's got no personality. But if it had been a case of like, all right, he made this movie, you know, for the check and, and, uh, and it showed that he still could make a movie on budget in time, etc., And that meant that he was able to then go on and do his own thing. Yeah, because, I mean, he's done it before with Christine, but actually that was brilliant. But yeah. he said before that Christine was just to get back in the black sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it wasn't as good as Christine. Anyway, so that's... Um, should we move on to well, yeah, John Carpenter a... roundup this week? <laughs> well, I'll do the only one that I've seen... Have you? Se- well, the only one I've kind of seen that we haven't watched together effectively, apart from Charles Play, is Haywire. Have you seen this? I have, I did. I watched it in the cinema, weirdly. It's the one with Gina Carano in it, directed yes. by Steven Soderbergh. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think what it was, when this film came out, um, I, I didn't realize that Gina Carano was like an MMA uh, fighter or anything. Um, I do like, I was jealous of her hair. I did have hair envy when I watched her in that film. Um, but wh- I watched it, and I think when I saw, I just remember it coming out and then it getting like basically at the time, because it was 2011, I think. And it mm. was a case of, yeah, it's fine, but she's she kind of brings it down because she's obviously very limited in what she can do, yeah. acting wise. And I and I and I don't know why I just didn't really get around to watching it. Right. So the other day I thought, oh, I fancy watching this because I know that Faye's a big fan of like um, she likes seeing um, like action films and w- with like a strong female lead. Yes. And and I kind of enticed her into it. So oh, you know, it's, yeah. it's got a, it's based on a woman. It looks like a bit of an ass kicking film. Let's do it. So I put it on and I enjoyed it, but it felt very generic. Um, it was considering yeah. you've got like Ewan McGregor, uh, Michael Douglas in there, and um, uh, of course Michael Fassbender, and there were like some really nice scenes in it. But mm. it's almost like the film was too short, and they had sequences that would. But there's a sequence when she's escaping from the police, like the French yeah. police, I think it is. And it, what could be like a really kind of gritty sequence over the sort of you know the streets of Paris, whatever it was, um, <clears throat> it was. She was considering she's this highly trained expert. She like runs into a hotel and she it's really generic. Like she runs up some stairs and then throws a load of tables and chairs down them and then boots open a door and goes out. And I thought, well, you're just leaving a massive trail of where you've been. <laughs> like you, you, you're supposed to be this highly trained expert. You're doing stuff that I would do in a panic 
Where, yeah. like, whereas you, if she just ran up into a hotel and then like kicked the door open and then ran up a few more flights and then went somewhere else, if you yeah. know what I mean. But there was, no, and then that sequence goes on for a while, which just people with guns, they never catch up with. They're just walking around. Yeah. And she, and it's just her like slowly clambering over chimney stacks for a while. And I thought this sequence has gone on for a fair old while. I mean, I get that yeah. it was weird because some of the scenes seemed to really drag on, like the. And you could tell that Steven Soderbergh had obviously thought, right, she's not the best at delivering lines. So what I'll do is just have people talking at her. Yes. And there are many sequences where she's just sort of stood there nodding along. And it, and I read about it afterwards that they sort of altered her voice digitally or, or uh, Laura Gian uh, San Giacomo, I'm not sure of her name, dubbed it. I don't care about that. What I care about was this felt like it should have had a bit more of a spark to it. Like I enjoyed well, it. Yes. And, 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 yeah, well, my overwhelming, I remember my overwhelming feeling about it was that it's a film called Haywire and it never goes haywire. Like, no. it, it, it doesn't live up to its name at all. In like, it, it seemed quite mild. Like, I know exactly what you're saying about the action sequences. Like, they are action sequences in so far as people are performing actions, <laughs> but it's never like it's never like there's never that much cool choreography i think there's a couple of moments of like cool cool stunt work and or cool like moves that she does yeah i and i'm pretty sure everything that cool that she does is in the trailer as well and i was so disappointed by that oh really it yeah it's it's almost like they got her in because she's obviously like she's very pretty and she's a very capable fighter but then it's like they used up that all of that effort in that scene with Michael Fassbender in the hotel room, which is really kind of physical and very guttural. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just her kind of on the phone to people and, and hide, hiding behind bins on the phone to Michael Douglas. And <laughs> while everyone speaks in really vague terms because the phone's bugged. And you think there's a whole sequence as well where like constant flashbacks of of this um, thing they did with what's his name? Uh, Channing Tatum. Mm. And she's explained it to this kid. And I thought, why are you telling this kid everything? Why why are you suddenly opening your heart? Like, like her character didn't make sense. Right. In, yeah. in the situation she was in. So you McGregor in it? Yes, yes, he is, yeah. What does he do? I can't remember. Is he the bad guy? Or... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's no, actually okay. at the end of it. Oh, well, it's not within not within uh, not beyond 20 years so i can't say mm. but there's there's a scene where something happens to him and i thought oh that looks like a hurt to him i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> <laughs> that looks like you need to add an extra um so yeah it was it was good for what it but the thing is much like horror when i watch an action film i have a certain tolerance yes any like an inbuilt tolerance because i like the genre so much so I, yeah. but i think I was hoping to sit down and find a real gem and think, oh my God, I can't believe I've seen this before. That was really cool. Yeah. When yeah. really, I mean, I, I love, like I said, I watch Michael Douglas in Don't Say When. I love his voice and I love his screen presence. And it just felt like they got a load of these people in just so they could be in a Steven Soderbergh film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like, because uh, it was quite a different, quite a different film for Steven Soderbergh at the time. I know, I know he'd done kind of um, popcorn action-y stuff like Oceans films and Out of Sight but this seemed like it was called Haywire it, it, it's literally called Haywire and it had this woman in the main role who's not an actor she's uh, like a martial artist and so it's like surely this is just going to be wall-to-wall action it could be like and knowing Steven Soderbergh and his precision filmmaking and and that and I was thinking this has got to be you know this is he's going to really go for it because it's so outside or his normal um, 
his normal kind of canon. But I just it, it just it almost seemed too much like a Steven Soderbergh film in a way, like not enough of a, an action movie. Uh, it just seemed maybe it was just the wrong fit for him for a cerebral director. Yeah, because there was a lot of um, the sequence where she sort of meets up with Michael Fassbender and then she discovers a body and realizes she's been double crossed. There's a lot of like held shots on people as they think, oh, am I being double crossed? Is this a triple cross? Should I, what, was mm-hmm. I supposed to find this? And you think, I don't think that she has the capabilities for this. That's not the film that I should be watching. No. And I, and I think a film like that, a 90 minute film about that topic. You, it's kind of judged on its efficiency in a way, which we'll come to when it comes to like extraction and 21 bridges, but like, and of course, jungle ground and a lot of those films, like, <laughs> yeah. like the, the quality is in the efficiency, I think. And it didn't have that. Hey, why yeah. it was, I know what you mean. It was, it felt short, but then individual scenes felt long, yeah. which is not a good com- combination. Yeah. So she was, yeah. she was actually, I will say though, Gina Carano, it was in, um, uh, a couple of other films that were like straight to DVD action films, and yeah. they they look really low budget. They look like the kind of things that like yeah. um, Stone Cold Steve Austin was in, which were like middling but fun. Like he was yeah. always willing to poke fun at himself because he is a capable kind of action star. Um, and I I, I am going to watch those because kind of like Roddy Piper, I, I find I like looking at him, and the same with Gina yeah. Carano. I like thinking, oh, I wonder what, I wonder if you had something that was more. Um, catered towards your actual skill set, what would happen? Yeah. So well, I am going to watch she, a few. Yeah, others. she's in the Mandalorian, and she's very good in that. Again, I mean, like she's developed slightly as an actor, but it because she's playing like quite a one-dimensional um, kind of soldier, and she's and now she's very uh, she's quite buffed up, not in a kind of muscular way, but she's quite she's quite beefy, and so she genuinely looked like a soldier wearing her armor, and she had cool hair and stuff. And it, so she was very cool in that. And that seemed much more in the kind of thing that she should be doing. Is a that way. a Star Wars TV series? It is. It's not a very good Star Wars TV series. Not that I've seen that many Star Wars TV series. But the episodes where she's in it are good because, you know, they've got a bit of... They've got a bit of... Uh, va-va-voom. Oh. I don't know what that means. That's all these technical terms. So, yeah, that was Haywire. Um, and then the other three I've got here are ones that we've both seen. So, right. uh, how many have you got left on your on your side? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six okay. left. But we can we can talk about extraction if you want because we've both seen that, right? Yes, I'm happy to so, talk about extraction because it's fresh yeah. in my mind. Yeah. So this is um, the one which is kind of John Wick in Bangladesh, basically. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah. I, my wife is Bengali and she was correcting the subtitles, which was quite amusing for this because a lot of the time they would, um, you should just say that's literally not what they're saying. Or like in the subtitles, it would be like a swear word. And she'd say that, but he didn't swear. So it was it's almost, why, why would that happen? <laughs> he just added it for impact or something. And it was interesting that she was saying that some of the stuff that's the police uh, the Bengali police shout at the kid, Ovi. Um, she was explaining actually, like he probably wouldn't actually understand what they're saying because he would only know English and Hindi. But um, so the stuff they were shouting, he probably wouldn't even understand what they were saying. So <laughs> that was quite an interesting little insight. But yeah, um, yes, it was. Uh, it, it, I thought it was quite good. I thought the action was good. Yeah. Uh, 
Hemsworth character is a little bit unreadable in a way. But then I think men are allowed to be unreadable, aren't they, in these things? Of course, Captain Marvel wasn't allowed to be strong and stoical because she's a really? woman. But when it comes to males, it's fine. Um, well, so I've never I, Captain Marvel. I thought everyone loved that film. I haven't seen it. No, no, no. This was it had a horrible backlash. Really? Because she wasn't pretty enough. Uh, she wasn't thin enough. Because she was a boring character, supposedly. But she's just, you know, it was like Captain America or something. It's just like she's meant to be strong and um, uh, principled. But yeah, she wasn't uh, thin enough or pretty enough. These these were the kind of things that were yes coming out. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, in a way, I think extraction is is quite a kind of uh, an old story, isn't it? They kind of like the the guy who operates in this kind of amoral bubble in this immoral world but he kind of has his eyes opened by the childish innocence of uh, this kid uh something like you know like man on fire or something like that that sort of thing um but yeah the the action scenes were really good uh it's extremely violent <laughs> it's like unbelievably <laughs> grotesquely violent i really liked the bit with david harbour yeah i thought that was genuine that was the moment where it was it felt like it was a genuine like really dramatic moment it's like ah, yeah 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 and i did really like the kind of ambiguous ending which obviously i won't explain yeah but yeah i really like because some of this obviously david harbour's character is a bit of a sausage but the stuff he says you can see that he's in a way yes he's talking perfect absolute sense and Chris Hemsworth decides to, like, no, I think actually I'm just going to do what is right, even though I know this isn't going to end well. That was the moment when, <laughs> yes, it, it went beyond... Elevated a little yes, bit. Yes, elevated because it brought in some moral ambiguity into it. Like, there was a bit of... Uh, it was like, actually, what he's saying, within the context of the world in which um, Chris Hemsworth's character operates, what David Harbour's saying to him is completely reasonable mm-hmm. and... To- and it should and totally logical but of course by that point there's an there's another dimension and it's quite cleverly done because of course without directly saying it between chris hemsworth and the kid it enriches their relationship by what happens between chris hemsworth and david harbour because you realize that he is prioritizing the kid did you laugh as I did at the bit where he takes painkillers and then David Harbour says, oh, what's that for you? What's that for your neck? And, and he says, back, neck, <laughs> ass, <laughs> tongue, face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was very uh, I think I, I know just to say the reason I think the reason I liked it so much was because and I would like to see a sequel because I I'd never seen Chris Hemsworth in a film beyond I generally think beyond like what the the only Marvel film I don't even know what it was a Marvel film as Thor and I thought he's just like but then when I watched the tra- the trailer to it well not even the trailer it was one of those ones that Netflix forced down your throat whenever you log in yes and I, and I thought I fancy an action film and we put it on and. Yeah, I just I thought, oh well, do you know what? Again, much like Hayway should have been. I thought, oh, well, I didn't expect that. I had yeah. no, I had no preconceptions of it, and I really enjoyed it. Yes, <clears throat> it's quite video gamey at times with with the action scenes and that. It was preposterous <laughs> some of those things. 
when he's having a fight with that bodyguard guy falling out of windows and then get one of them gets hit by a car they screw, they fight a bit more and then another one gets hit by a car it's like come on oh. well that's the thing because that guy was really cool he was like a really yeah, cool character yeah he was uh, good um but i also um i all it, it there's a bit of me that um i always enjoy with films kind of like with john wick uh like this this the second and third one really mm. where they're not at their physical peak, like within the first 15, 20 minutes of that film, he has had the shit kicked out of him. And and there seems he's covered in blood and he's completely cream crackered. And you think there's another hour and a half, Chris. You might wanna <laughs> you might wanna pep up a little bit, Sunshine. Yeah. So I do like that. The sort of diehard thing, you know, where you yeah. just think you're knackered already. Yeah. But so. yes, um yeah, the, the bodyguard character was especially cool. Uh and it was yes. So and there's some quite emotional moments towards the end yes uh predictable perhaps but well done yeah yeah and so, of course, uh, the, the woman yeah. um, who plays chris hemsworth kind of like the, uh, the asian um yeah. like agent who he's kind of working towards yeah he's pretty uh um, yes. just she is a pretty woman yeah i did notice that that was uh, in my notes yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so kind of related to that i also watched 21 bridges so this was this is uh also bo and lloyd so i'm intrigued about the other 18 (laughs) weird i i mentioned that i'd watch this to um alex uh, you know your friend alex our friend alex and he made exactly the same joke brett (laughs) so you'd be pleased with that um wise man (laughs) um yeah so this is also produced by the Russo brothers, as Extraction was, um, oh. yeah. So I I love movies set over a single night. So that's already got my attention. This one, and it's a movie set over a single night and set in New York. So of course I'm just thinking The Warriors and Escape from New York. Good. Um, it's a little bit more modern than that. I won't lie. Um, it's about a robbery that goes horribly wrong and a bunch of cops are killed basically. And uh, Chadwick Boseman, um, Black Panther, he. He's not playing Black Panther in this, obviously, but he is a detective brought in to catch them, basically. And they've got essentially they've got um, they've got a limited amount of time to get them to capture them. So they rather implausibly shut down all the bridges and trap them in Manhattan to chase them down, really. And um, it's really, really silly, but it does have a really nice kind of directness about it. And I like how it. Like the plot doesn't really make any sense, but um, it does. It prioritizes kind of the morally ambiguous drama over the plot logic, which I'm fine with. I, you know, I don't really care so much about the plot logic when it, each scene is interesting. If you see what I mean, yeah. um, and the action scenes are, are exciting, um, but they also move the plot forward rather than just like looking cool. If you see what I mean, there's an amazing chase sequence in this film, um, which is instantly already one of my favorites it was so it was so well done and so tense i, I can't thing is i can't really explain why it's so good without spoiling the film in a way but can you, sen- if it's, can you say if it's on foot or in a vehicle it's on foot and I think it might be a bit of vehicle as well but essentially you've got a situation where um chadwick boseman is chasing a perpetrator um but the but the perpetrator is also being chased by these other people. So Chadwick Boseman has to 
not only catch up with the perpetrator, but also protect him at the same time. So it comes at these ridiculous situations where he's being, the perpetrator is being shot at by these other people, but Chadwick Boseman's having to like chase after the guy, but also defend him like from these other people. It's, awesome. it's so good. It's very, and it's really tense and it's good. It's really nicely done. Is um, it, well, I know what film I'm watching tonight. Does it, does it also, um, does it have a, is the chase scene better than the one with Ryan Gosling at the end of The Nice Guys? Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's slightly different to that. <laughs> it's a different approach. Uh, I'd say that it's up there with the Point Break foot chase. Okay, which is saying a lot because that was a very bit of a classic as well. Um, so th- this was directed by someone called Brian Kirk, who I he apparently he's worked on Game of Thrones, but he has a really nice he has a really good cinematic eye about things. He's not too showy exactly, but there's got a lot of good crane shots, really good lighting, really atmospheric lighting. And it has a good kind of orchestra, proper orchestral score with actual melodies in it. Um, but I just liked the way um, in this film, the protagonist has real, has genuine moral choices to make. Um, uh, and that is what pushes the plot along, if you see what I mean. He's not just propelled along by the situation. He's not just reacting to the situation. He has to make certain choices and that changes how the film progresses, if you see what I mean. Okay, that's and cool. you'll know what I mean when you watch it because it's like, okay, you can see when he's, and he's a good enough actor that you can see when he's got a choice to make in a certain situation, then he's like looking around at people thinking, yes. And um, <laughs> you can just hear him saying, yes, under his breath. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's like, right, okay. So there are different ways of he could be dealing with it. And so it's interesting to see how he chooses to deal with it. And it's, yeah, so that's, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. So definitely worth a watch. I think I know what the film of the week is going to be. <laughs> it may well be. <laughs> So I've got I've got four more. So you, do you want to crack on with one of yours? Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched the remake of Child's Play um, oh, yeah. a few days ago, and I hadn't seen. Well, I think I may have seen the originals, but like I probably saw like the third one or fourth one or something years ago. Faye is much more oh Faye oh there we go with this series than I am, um, because she was she kind of um, I knew that it was um, Jennifer Tilly and uh, what's his name Brad. Oh god, the guy who does the voice of Chucky. He did it for years. Yeah. The original. Come yeah. on, he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. What's his name? Um, yeah, what's his name? It's not Brad. It's uh ah, oh, because he's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's in the Exodus Three. He's in yeah. I'm gonna, have to find, I'm gonna have to find this out. No, I can't. I can't not know that. He's in Deadwood as well. He's so good. Oh, did he have a long grey plait in his hair by any chance? <laughs> uh, what is his name? So if I type in, I'll just type in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. This is unprofessional, but I have to know. Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, obviously I, I knew that he did the, the voice and stuff. And in this, it was replaced by Mark Hamill. So, which is good because he's kind of, I thought, is it going to be the Joker? But <laughs> it's not, but he's got that sneer that he can mm. bring out his voice that really worked well. And it was like, it, I'm not sure how much it references the other films in the series. Cause I've never really seen them, but as a, as a, like, you know, we ordered a takeaway at a glass of wine and watched it. I was, I thought that was good. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. It was again, the plot is ridiculous. And 
the way that the kids talk to each other and the way the kids are like fixated with this toy where really they would just be like what like scenes where there's like gangs of kids with like the toys outside yeah. where they would just be bullied by the other kids really so yeah that's, that doll? was quite that that's very much like a an 80s thing isn't it really i mean they did bring it up to date quite well with the kind of like app and stuff like that yeah. but um and the smart home aspects to it in a way it makes more sense to make it today with those sorts of things going on but um yeah the idea that kids would be fixated on this one toy seems quite unlikely in this day and age and uh, of course um aubrey plaza was in it which yeah I, I enjoy because she was in safety not guaranteed which is a film i hold dear because i found it really i found just a really pleasant film um and introduced me to mark duplass jurassic world's colin trevorrow what was safety not guaranteed really i think so probably the best film he's ever made then um but <laughs> i think there's a fair point so yeah but it, like I said, it didn't bring anything anything kind of new to the table but it was it was nice to see like a reimagining of i mean how that's been going since the 80s that that series and it was nice to just i'd rather watch that than um like when i watched children of the corn 10 a few years ago uh, it was astonishingly bad so i'm glad that they kind of managed to reboot it and make it kind of fresh and if they did knock out a couple of sequels to it, I'd be like, yeah, I'll give it a goosey, I'll watch it. Um, yeah. And it was like a lot of practical effects, which are quite nice. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah there wasn't there, there wasn't anything, like the modernisation parts were quite well done, and it was brought up to date. And there was, but there wasn't anything annoyingly modern about it, if you see what I mean. Like, it didn't bring in any particular modern horror elements that annoyed me. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Uh, so it, yeah, it was a good update, I think. But then part of, part of that is because the original wasn't that good. So. Yeah, I, I've never I've never seen it, and I yeah, I, to me it just I used to mix up Child's Play and the Puppet Master series for years. Um, yeah, yeah, they they knocked at about forty films as well. I'm sure you throw, they, throw the Wishmaster series into that mix, and yeah, you are. Oh then. my God, Andrew Divoff, that's the first film I ever saw him in. But of course, he was in Nemesis Four, Death Angel, yes. which is the worst film hands down I've ever seen. So I, I, I can't it is interesting that, off as much as I'd like. We like each of our least favorite films of all time. Genuinely, are directed by Albert Pean. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't mind Cyborg. I thought that was one of Van Damme's <laughs> better films. But yeah, it, no, it's Albert Pean is astonishing. I know because he just yours seems to make film after Oh, go on, sorry. And mine was Interstellar: Civil War, and it was in there like it was just. It's just people talking to each other. Oh, it's staggering. I could not believe what I was watching. Uh, it was awful, awful films. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so so with Child's Play, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Look, it's not one, like in three or four years, if someone said, have you seen it? I might have to kind of think, uh, have I? Did yeah. I? Yes, did I? it's okay. But yeah. it's not one I would go back to. But like, again, with horror, I very rarely go back and will watch horror again because the impact for it is very, unless it's something a bit more cerebral, is in the yeah. first watch. I think it's in like second tier as in a modern horror resurgence because it is a bit of a golden age of horror at the moment, but there is a top tier where it's like, where like Jordan Peele and Robert Eggers and people like that are working like get out us and, and, and like it follows that sort of thing. That's yeah. top tier. And then you've got like second tier stuff, which is almost like filling the gaps, but it's still good quality. Like, uh, Charles play Happy Death Day stuff like that, where yeah. it's like you watch it and you think, yep, yeah, 
that's fine. There, there's a certain sheen to those, isn't there? Yeah. There's like a, a very... A bit of a, a TV gloss on them. Yeah. Whereas like when you watch something like It Follows, it's like a... like the, It's a it's a, a very cool premise that couldn't have been better. It yeah. was w- without making it totally and utterly ridiculous. And it was... And yeah, you've got the Jordan Peele stuff, which is awesome. But then I suppose the main problem with stuff like Happy Death Day and Child's Play is that they... They lack the depth. It's very much like a 2D sort of horror. Yes. One have, you ever, have you seen Happy Death Day to you? The secret? No, why? Yeah, it's bizarre. Like, like, it's. I don't know whether I. I kind of admire the fact that it was it was trying to push it into such a different dimension because it's ridiculously convoluted. It takes what was a simple premise and like really overcomplicates it. So. I don't think they'll make another one, but it's weirdly like full on with them trying to expand the mythology. But yeah, okay. it's probably worth a watch just out of curiosity more than anything. I'm not sure that it's one <laughs> one for the ages, but yeah. At least, and it's a pun in the in the subtitle as well, so that's fine. Well, there you go. Yeah, and it's still so, like a 35 year old woman playing an 18 year old, so it's fine. <laughs> really, still. That's amazing. Happy Death Day to you. So yeah, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you do one of yours because I've, I've done a couple. And I'm just going to have a look at Happy Death Day to you on my. Phone. Well, we're, while we're still on the horror kind of uh, part of it, then um, I'll talk about White of the Eye from 1987. And this is a really odd one, right? Okay, so Donald Camel, he was a Scottish artist and director. I think he's famous for co-directing performance, the Mick Jagger one with. Um, Nicholas Rogue. Um, okay. But yeah, so he's a Scottish artist. He, he, in the mid-90s, he blew his brains out with a shotgun, obviously. Mm. Um, but yeah, so he made performance and he made he made Demon Seed as well, that one where Julie Christie is terrorised by an AI in the house. Um, but I don't think he made... He only made a few films. But anyway, one of them was White of the Eye, this film from 1987. It's kind of like a... It's like an art rock slasher film really it's very stylized and it's got music by um a dude out of 10 cc and someone out of uh, pink floyd obviously um so it's just like all the music is like really slow and ethereal and soft yeah it's an ethereal synth and like wailing guitar good um so it kind of starts out as like a really artfully directed slasher movie like when someone gets like attacked at the start like you see them lurch towards them and you hear the sounds, but instead of seeing what's happening to them, it will like cut to like um, a vase full of red water smashing on the ground and stuff. It's one of those sorts of movies. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's like a new wave uh, horror, but anyway, it's so, and it starts as a slasher. Then it turns into this sort of character based crime film, almost like Tarantino esque. I can imagine that Tarantino probably has watched this film and admired it because it's very much about these kind of, well, they're not exactly even criminals, but just like a kind of a, a quite toxic couple. Um, yeah. And them on their kind of, it, it keeps cutting back to how they met and and you kind of learn more about how toxic they are and about the kind of crimes they may have committed. Um, and then it finally turns into this kind of home invasion thriller thing at the end. Uh, it all goes a bit higher in the house. Um, Good. <laughs> it looks gorgeous it looks amazing like uh, it looks like an artist has directed a film which is what exactly what happened so um, <laughs> the story is the storyline is pretty sort of confounding and elusive somehow but it's so odd 
like the choices of what scenes come after the ne- after the last ones that it almost well, they, they don't they don't flow at all yeah it's like it's very you just don't know what's going to happen next and that, that kind of makes it quite watchable and um and the two leads david keith um not keith david but david keith and kathy moriarty um you probably recognize kathy moriarty if you saw her um they're really good um and it, it's set in arizona as well like really hot sweaty rural arizona and and obviously this is like donald camel is just not he's a scott he's a scottish guy and it, i love films where the filmmaker is completely like kind of alien to the culture in which the film is set because it always brings this kind of weird sort of interesting outsider kind of baggage with it and a, a kind of uncanny quality okay. when when it's someone from not from that world if you see what i mean so yeah it's worth it's a bit of an oddity it's a bit of a it definitely what would i would call a hidden gem in a way it does sound like you enjoyed it it does sound like you had fun with it i think i was more intrigued by by it than anything it's kind of thing i I watch again knowing what's going to happen and probably enjoy it more in fact um and oh yeah the detective like following the case is the little black guy out of die hard 2 the one with kind of slightly squeaky voice Trying to think who that is. The one who helps him out. Uh, oh, Argyle. Is it? No, no, no. Die Hard Two. Um, the one with the yeah, he's quite short and squat. He's got quite a squeaky voice. He helps out. Um, I think he works in like the tower. Anyway, you'd know him if you saw him. But I'll have to find out his name. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah, it's a good film. Worth watching. White of the Eye. White of the Eye. Yeah. Very That's odd. Very unique. Oh, okay. Then because obviously you you watch like as many like eighties horrors as we do, and they do all kind of blend into one. You think that's another slasher film? Like which one is that again? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's not much between them because they all kind of look the same and stuff. And it's it's good when you come across something which is generally very different. I look at you, Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Everyone should look at that film. And that's a film which is over 20 years old, but we're definitely not going to spoil it. No, no, absolute classic. Um, so well, that sounds pretty good, actually. That is so, that's two films you've taught me into watching, which is absolutely fine. By the way, are these on Netflix or Amazon Prime or are they ones you've bought? Or? Well, 21 Bridges is on Amazon Prime. I think it was produced by Amazon. So that's on Prime. White of the Eye, I got that from Arrow Video. I don't know where you'd get that, to be honest. Uh, it was like a, steelbook blu-ray type job but i don't know it's the kind of thing you might find on youtube to be honest because it's obscure enough that no one really cares about their copyright <laughs> oh <I> see <laughs> <laughs> so well the, the, we've we can talk about dumb and dumber because we've both watched that man. um that funny <laughs> yeah it was i i really liked um it, it's it's a film that i've watched many times over the years and yes. i i it's kind of like when I watch um, episodes of Bottom on TV, where I almost laugh at what's coming up yes. um, before it actually happens. And yeah. it was—it's just still one of Jim Carrey's best comedies. Yeah, I, I prefer it to the other Farrelly. I know that. Um, what was the one he did? The really, what was the one that Farrelly Brothers did after that? There's something about Mary. Mm-hmm. I think that got a lot more attention somehow, but I still think Dumb and Dumb is the best they've done. Yeah, I think I, it's like it stays incredibly funny to to the very end, and like 
there are like almost every you know it gets scene after scene which is like, like i know what you mean like a scene was done you're like ah oh, it's this scene brilliant and you yeah. just look forward to some the ridiculousness that's going to happen and yeah it is mostly down to jim carrey's performance because it's just so funny and over the top and but not it's not like i mean i know that he's obviously probably probably improvising a lot of his kind of facial expressions and stuff but it doesn't feel like you know the brand of will ferrell comedy that came later on where it's almost like they're ad-libbing they're just trying out comedy lines and then you see the outtakes and you realize they went through lots of like comedy lines and just saw what was the funniest it doesn't feel like that it feels much more rigorously made somehow uh but obviously there is an element of like just letting jim carrey do his thing but that's fine because he's amazingly gifted comic actor yeah yeah you, you, there's um and like jeff daniels kind of holds his own and it's it's not yeah. like he's keeping up with him no i think he tries to no i think he's a slightly different but the good thing is that jeff daniels gets those moments which <laughs> which are brilliant and only he could do like the bit where he is he's taking the laxatives <laughs> and he's in her house it's just <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous yeah brilliant. and of course the the woman again i don't know if you noticed she's pretty yes yes she's she, got her hair is astonishing though it keeps <laughs> on changing scene to scene yeah uh yeah it's one of those movies where whenever the act whenever the attention is not on um harry and lloyd of course reference to harry lloyd um then whenever it's not on them it's like okay this is just filler it's totally just exposition. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, the scenes when it cuts to the people in the like the the, yeah. the lodge. So I don't I mean, even remember what they say. No. I, yeah, it's like just get back, and, then, and thankfully it does just stick with uh, Harry and Lloyd most of the time, and a, an array of um, radio-friendly '90s rock as well. Naturally. Oh god, yes. So and, and Nick Cave, Red Right Hand. Good. Of course it was. Yeah. Of all the films to feature that song, <laughs> it's Dumb and Dumber. Um, so the other one we watched together was uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in Jungle Ground, which was surprisingly good. Yeah, which I recommended. My, my parents uh, are big fans of action films, and my brother and father are hip steep into wrestling, and they've obviously seen stuff like Tough and Deadly. Um, but I thought Jungle Ground was like a weirdly decent film because <laughs> yeah. I you sometimes you watch an action film from that era and you're kind of willing to poke a bit of fun at it. Yeah. But it, the only the only the only bit because the premise of it is that uh, for those who haven't seen it, which I'm assuming is a few people, um, it's 1995 and it, Roddy Piper is kind of a cop from Jungle Ground, which is it, I guess it's just like a real downtrodden part of LA where the police don't go, sort of thing. Yeah, and he gets kind of trapped in there during like a sting operation. And he's got to get out of it. Sort of it's a touch of escape from New York in the, and very, and the warriors very much in like how this gangs braziers burning and barrels everywhere. And, and, and gangs like quite, um, kind of, uh, gangs with kind of weird nicknames and stuff. Yeah, and like, like themed gangs. Themed, yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Like one of them's called game show and he constantly uses phrases from game shows. It's like ridiculous, but it adds a bit of kind of color to to them, I guess. And a bit, yeah, a bit of a, a comic book sort of sensibility. So then, yeah, special. well, and that definitely reminded of the Warriors because, because in the Warriors, you get the comic book frames in between scenes, and in that, each 
gang is very much kind of like themed in its own way. Yeah. Um, but the, the, what it's what it is it is really a decent, really decent nineties uh, action film. But what tickles me were the points in it where, considering Roddy Piper is like desperately trying to get out of this place, it, the mm. scenes where it just cuts to him just like walking around talking to people really slowly, like ambling through the streets, and you think, yeah, probably probably should be more focused on, yeah, bit, on, on like, making friends. <laughs> <laughs> the bit where he's they've got a car so him and this girl he's trying to rescue basically uh, they've got this car and they're on their way out of the city and and they just and it cuts to them and they've just stopped in like at the side of the road maybe in an alleyway but they've just stopped and they're just chatting in the car about what they're going to do and just drive and talk you know just say just make a decision rowdy just say, say, right, okay, we're going to go towards this place. It's going to take us about 20 minutes to drive there so we can talk on the way, sort of thing. We don't need to stop. And because, of course, in that scene, they stop, talk for a while, and it cuts to, like, the bridge where they're going to escape, essentially. And all of the um, bad guys are, are gathering, and they're waiting for more bad guys to turn up, and so more cars turn up. And, of course, if um, Roddy had just left and just kept driving then he probably would have avoided most of them so yeah he would well the film would have been a lot shorter obviously yeah, just <laughs> driving away so yeah <laughs> yeah 40 minutes in but yeah two things to to um take away from this uh, he's got a strange haircut and that he cannot run he cannot run that man it's weird yeah yeah it it, it, it's not like he's that i mean he is buff but it's weird. Like he just—it looks like he's got proper injury or something, and it. it's strange. I don't know whether it's the same in other films. I don't remember it being the same. But then I've never seen him like run through LA wearing like, the clothing as well. Like the stuff that people are wearing in that film. Staggering and uh, astonishing. astonishing. But yeah, that was. And um, so yeah, I'm thinking. What else? I'm just having a look at my list here. I think that is it. Oh, when we watched. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's it for me. Um, what was the other film we watched recently with Mickey Rourke? Uh, Point Blank, that was it. Talking of films... Oh, God, yes. Yeah, talking of films... Because uh, when I mentioned earlier about how, like, the kind of... The the key thing you want from a film like that is efficiency. And, it, and that was a film which was so lacking in efficiency. It's such a weird film because that's a... It's essentially sort of like a diehard type thing, but in a supermarket, really naturally and, yeah, of course. and it's but it's like weirdly like romantic perspective on all of these relationships between these men not in a kind of sexual way but almost in a kind of loving way like every every scene is like really weirdly sentimental uh it's, it's so odd you'll have these bursts of like really violent behavior and then suddenly they'll be like talking and hugging and <laughs> gazing longingly at each other it's bizarre it's yeah it's a weird one because see, the whole film, like Mickey Rourke, is miscast and he's clearly coming fresh after all. His face is really puffy and it's, it's, yeah. it's 98, I think. So it's, it's, he looks odd anyway. Yeah. He's, his voice is dubbed over in some scene for some reason by someone who has nothing like him. And it's very much about kind of him going into uh, this, this mall where these convicts have escaped and to, to kind of rescue his brother and it's a weird thing because it's made out like oh which one of these is his brother but we know his brother's name is like ray and yeah. we know that every other convict has had their name explicitly stated apart from one so mm. 
you know who his brother is. So when there's like the reveal, you think, well, I guess, I guess it was Kevin Gage, yeah. to be honest. It looked a bit like him as well. Uh, the Danny only one he could be his brother. Danny Trejo was in there as well. <sighs> He's a tinker. It's another, it's another DT film. I read after, after we watched it, I read about um, that film and about how um, the, apparently those scenes with Danny Trejo where he goes off the rails for 10 minutes with the yeah. women, that was something he asked to be written in. Because he thought it would give his character some depth. I'm like, oh, okay. Sure about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> depth is not something I was thinking. I thought, if, yeah. If I, in a way, it like, does add flavor to the film. I read but, the script. Yeah. yeah. And then I said, oh, do you know what would be really good, though, in this is if there were just scene after scene of me taking loads of coke and just like watching strippers. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm not sure how we write that. Who in, are but... you doing that for? The the, the script or you... yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna change Michael with John Travolta, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't the best, but yeah, um, but yeah, Mickey Mickey Rourke. Oh, this looks rough in that film. He's right, sweating. Okay. His hair is wet with grease in that film. <laughs> um, right. Also, I'll move on to Kindergarten Cop then from 1990. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know who this film is for. It's a, it's a comedy with very have you seen it i've seen it several times yes yeah it's a comedy with very few jokes in it it's an action film with very little action in it and it's a drama film which is so like sentimental and illogical that no one could take it seriously anyway so but it kind of i think it the reason it just about works is because of the charm. I fancy Penelope Ann Miller I know exactly what you're gonna say <laughs> well I'm I gonna come find, to that I did find the father really creepy which one's his father? He's been in a few other films. He's always cast as like a henchman and stuff, if I remember. Oh, God, yeah. And he looked like um, Val Kilmer, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like um, my wife actually thought it was Val Kilmer. I said, no, no, that is someone else being a bit creepy. That's a, uh, that's a man with a different ethnic heritage as well. <laughs> I will say. Oh, uh, yeah, but it was 1990. They could have blacked people up, but then it would have been fine. Um, so, yeah, it's... um. It made a stack of cash as well, the movie. So it's really, yeah. So it found its audience. Um, the Penelope Ann Miller thing. So I just want to talk about that because I don't fancy Penelope Ann Miller. Okay. And I, but more than that, I didn't think they had, they any had any chemistry, chemistry whatsoever. In fact, I think they had Arnie and her had less chemistry than Arnie and Emma Thompson and Junior, to be honest. Now, <laughs> but what is, it wasn't so much, it, regardless of whether I fancy playing around Miller or not, the point is, is that you've got this situation where you've got, you've got this woman, Penelope Ann Miller, who is like 16 years younger than Arnie in this film, for a start, yes. has never stopped Hollywood before. But just, and he's got, but he's got this cop buddy, right? His partner is Pamela, played by Pamela Reed, um, who is actually only one year away from Arnie's age. I personally think she's just as attractive as Penelope Ann Miller, and they get on much better than Arnie and Penelope Ann Miller. Penelope Ann Miller looks a lot like Naomi Watts, by the way. There is certainly a bit of Naomi Watts. Going so, what on. was the name of the other woman? Sorry, she's a redhead, isn't she? Uh, Pamela Reed, and they were almost the same age. I can't believe that there is like this fifteen years between Pamela Reed and Penelope Ann Miller. To be honest, in that film, it staggered me. But anyway, um, but it, yeah, it. It didn't really make any sense to me. It, I kind of, they seemed more suited, <laughs> like Arnie and her, but she was married, so I suppose that wasn't going to happen. But, <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, apparently Bill Murray was going to play the main role 
in really up yeah i wonder how that would have worked because the film the it ends up being a film which is one of many films that arnie made which was obviously using his persona tough guy persona ironically if you look at twins yeah. you look at junior you look at, yeah jingle all the way all of that so it's very much rests on that i don't know how funny it would have been if it had been bill murray I suspect it could have been funnier moment to moment because of Bill Arnie, Murray. Yes, and Arnie doesn't have comic timing, especially he, what he really lacks uh, and what's really noticeable. He's never he, he can never convince anyone that he's the smartest guy in the room. If you see what I mean? Whereas Bill Murray is almost the opposite. It's like he, you assume he's the smartest guy in the room, and that's why he's always slightly taking the taking the piss out of people. See what I mean? So yeah, it's it's weird. It would have been a totally different thing. Yeah, it's um, of course I was going to say uh, yeah, but it's kind of a fish out of water comedy, effectively. Yeah, and, and I kind of intrinsically dislike those. So I think I watched it a lot as a kid because I thought, oh look, it's Arnie, and he's like you know, yeah, with a lot of kids, haha. And it's got enough gun violence in it for it to qualify as an action, an Arnie action movie, I suppose, for a kid. But yeah, it's not. It's not. Uh, why did you watch that film, by the way? That seems like a strange one to just check on. Because uh, my wife wanted to watch an Arnie film. And, she went and straight to Kinder. You put the raw deal to one side and went straight to Kinder. <laughs> yeah. Well, options were limited, I think, on Netflix or Amazon, wherever it was. Um, yeah. So, um, so I'll also uh, I'll mention the Money Pit as we're talking about eighties comedies. Yeah. No, technically, Kindergarten Cop was 90, but still. But the <laughs> Money Pit, it, yes. Yeah. So the Money Pit is from 1986, and it tends to be, I well, I feel it tends to be kind of a bit ignored uh, in the kind of Tom Hanks early comedies uh, canon. Like, you compare it to, like, Splash or Big or Turner and Hooch, they tend to be more remembered. Oh, like Turner and Hooch is, is a favourite of mine. Who plays his wife in Money Pit? Shelley Long. Right. Yeah. I... Personally, I think I think the Money Pit's the best of them. Ex- the Burbs is still the best of the Tom Hanks films, in my <laughs> opinion. But from that period, but but yeah, the Money Pit is it's very old-fashioned screwball comedy, which means you get a kind of constant supply of uh, kind of zingers in the script, uh, really sharply written script, but also like really broad slapstick at the same time. And the good thing is, of course, that Hanks his physical comedy is so it's so good yeah. like we've talked about the bit where he gets stuck in the floor and starts going mad which is still brilliant and he like he's there for obviously a few hours until like darkness and he starts making like paper airplanes out of this wad of cash he's got oh it's so funny and there's a bit where like near the start where he's just outside you just it's shot through a window like long shot and he's just, he's just walking outside <clears throat> and it's some trees and it's obviously like like there's just obviously a beehive or something around you just see him like starting to like swat away a couple and then he gets <laughs> oh, yeah. much more panicked and then in the end he's just like running around like swiping hands all over his face it's just brilliant though because it's just a shot of tom hanks doing that and um yes and shelly long's really good and they're they're a very believable couple which helps um and it it's quite unusual in a way especially in rom-coms to see an established relationship because a lot of rom-coms they tend to be about meet people meeting under weird circumstances don't they yes so it's it tends to be like oh you know misunderstandings and stuff like cheese yeah Yeah, all that but they don't but 
they don't have that. They they like finish each other's sentences and stuff. So um it's directed by Richard Benjamin, who is the main guy in Westworld, which I didn't realise. Interesting. But um with a moustache. Yeah. Good. Yes. Who Not... I thought was the guy who was at the start of um Duel as well. Oh god, yeah, he does look like him, yeah. Um, you sure it's not him? Could be, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of people had massages in the 70s. Um, oh dear, you and have a look uh, just to double check. But he, I mean, he, he's not like a, a very stylish director or anything, but he always finds the funniest way to kind of like present, um, like plot moments. Like, there's a bit where <laughs> Shelley Long is admitting, admits to, um, Tom Hanks that she's slept with Alexander Goodenough, actually. Um, and it could have just been like a kind of like simple confession, a dramatic scene sort of thing. But like, instead of that, like she wakes him up, wakes Tom Hanks up in the middle of the night and he's so tired and like, he's so tired and uninterested that he just cannot comprehend what she's saying. And he just keeps saying, oh, that's fine, that's fine. And she's saying, do you understand what I'm saying? I've slept with another man. He's <laughs> like, oh yeah, it'd be fine. Let's just get some sleep. And then and then it switches a light off, and then it's just like put a pause, and then instantly the light comes on. And he's screaming at her at the end of the bed. It's so funny. Um, but yes, so that really holds up. I could watch that again and again. Yeah, I will watch that again. It's a film I haven't seen in fifteen years plus, so yeah. that's definitely do a goosey. Yeah. Uh, have you any more? No, no, no. That's that's me done. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, we're going to go straight into Days of Thunder. Oh, Christ, this is the one. I think this is one of a handful of Tom Cruise films I've never seen. Really? Well, is his name like Leaky Tip or something in it? Is he what? Is his name something like Leaky Tip? <laughs> Cold Trickle. Oh, that's it. yeah, I knew it was Leaky Tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dicky back. This yeah. is he's reteaming with Tony Scott, obviously after Top Gun. It's almost like they're kind of it's a response to the overwhelming homoeroticism of Top Gun. Cause it's like really, really conspicuously macho car porn. Um, Robert Duvall is obviously this kind of mental character, like surrogate father figure. Oh, before He's you with... carry on, we forgot yeah. to point out in the scene in point blank where someone misdelivers a line. Oh yeah. In, uh, Mickey Rock film we mentioned earlier on, there's a scene where the guy who kind of is owns the mall, apparently he's pointing at a chair and he says, the guy wanted 20 grand for it, so I knocked him down and paid 70 prick. And it's clearly just a line that's just been spoonerized, and it's just kept in. It's kept in. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and it doesn't make battle. any sense. No. So I just wanted to say that. Sorry. The criminal so mastermind massively upselling himself by 150%. <laughs> I mean. So I uh, saw you were saying that the father figure in Days of Thunder is played by uh, Robert Duvall. Right. Um, he's literally a car whisperer, by the way, in this movie. He, there is what a scene where he's whispering to the car to like take care of Tom Cruise, please. Michael Rook is in it as well, obviously. Oh, so it's good and then. Carrie Elwes, brilliant. Oh my um, god, um, the Carrie Elwes is so smug in it. Um, <sighs> the plot is really predictable and hackneyed, but the script is by Robert Town, who wrote uh, Chinatown. Uh, oh. Wow. And co-wrote like Godfather, Parallax View, Marathon Man. So it has oh, got okay. an, it has got a nice turn of phrase, um, but yeah, I don't. It's it's so macho, it's so masculine, it's unbelievable. It's also it's further proof that Tom Cruise is best when he starts 
cocky, gets taken down a peg or two and then redeems himself. Because that is the trajectory of so many of his films. You think about Color of Money, you think about Rain Man, Eyes Wide Shut, sort of Magnolia. It's always that... Oh, Color of Money, Color of Night, The Color Purple, all the films he's been in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, He will start out like the cocky guy. He's talented at what he does, but then he gets knocked back because he's too cocky. And then he has to learn some humility. And that's fine. That's, That's his formula. That's why... Yes, we go back to Jack Reacher. That's why that film doesn't work. Because oh. he's, he's stepping out of that formula. The rating <laughs> scenes are, are good. Um, the feathering in Tom Cruise's hair is astonishing. <laughs> it's, it's like they're, between scenes, they, just, they must have come over and just, like, just had a team of people just to flick his hair, to feather it out. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, and... Um, oh, yeah, and, uh, of course, this is the film where he met Nicole Kidman um, we all know what happened after that um, but it's also like within the film itself it's one of those movies where there's no reason for the leading lady to fancy him at all because when he first meets her he for reasons I won't bother explaining but he forces her to grope his testicles oh, um, she consistently and very clearly rejects his advances and she disapproves of his lifestyle completely um, and he's ba- so he's basically a sex pest. Right. But of course, this being Hollywood, persistence pays off. With, uh, a very masculine way of looking at romance. He just keeps going at her and she finally cracks. Um, there's, Hans Zimmer does the, the score, which is astonishing in itself. It's, it's pure. It's basically a template for the kind of synth wave we hear today. It's like really snare-driven since it's just oh it's just so it's amazing um but overall as a film it's just not as much fun as top gun really are there any homosexual epithets in it because if you're saying it's like a, a kickback against the homoeroticism in i know it the reason i said it's almost a kickback against that is because in top gun obviously you've got scenes where it's like you know it's just a load of lads together topless and it's all very much like that and it's and all of their arguments seem quite flirtatious in themselves i it's very conspicuously like um, hyper masculine in this. Much more about them mocking each other's um, virility and stuff like that. And it's much more about kind of father son relationships, that sort of thing. Okay. There isn't really, which was one of the reasons why it's not as much fun as Top Gun because it doesn't have a homoerotic element in it. <laughs> right. so, well, it if you want that, that, just watch Point Blank again, Rupert. I don't know. Every <laughs> scene is like a love scene in that film. The bit where, well, one character, I think we can say because it, it's over 20 years old, can't we? But basically where he's got his brother in, dying in his arms. And it's like, that scene must go on for about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it clearly <laughs> should have ended. his hair. And I thought they were just going to kiss at one point. Yeah, generally, yeah. It's really, it's really bizarre, every sex scene in that. Sex scene, sorry, every scene in it. <sighs> yeah. So, um, yeah, Days of Thunder, I mean, it's, it's well made because it's Tony Scott, but... Yeah. Not Tom Cruise's best outing. Oh, I forgot. I watched The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 as well. Oh, is it with Denzel Washington and... Yeah. Is it Sean Bean? No, it's... Um, who else is in it? It's Denzel Washington... Um, John Travolta? John Travolta, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I've never seen the original. Was it Robert Mitchum and someone else? I can't. I, I haven't seen the original either. I've, no. I've seen the Taking the Pill on One Two Three. Yes, I quite liked it. I thought it was quite good. 
Yes, uh, it was quite tense. I remember, but I, yeah. I don't remember much of it really. Uh, it's, it's, Tony Scott does. He does these kind of like men, men arguing in a kind of respectful way type movies quite well, doesn't he? And That's of course, on his CV, like Hobby's <laughs> r- really well presented scripts of men arguing in a respectable way. <laughs> but in a way, that, that is really his thing, isn't it? Because you think about Crimson Tide as well and stuff like that. It's just professionals arguing, isn't it, really? Um, so, yeah, I did. I quite liked Take It, Pelham 1, 2, 3. I, it, I, what I liked about it was that I get a bit tired of Denzel Washington being ultra competent and confident about everything it gets a bit dull because he's played that character so many times of being just like the smart guy and stuff it was nice to see him play a character with real kind of humility and um and quite a wounded character in a way in it kind of like in flight as well is i like that aspect of him that he was a bit broken yeah yes so uh, I'm will I I would guess that um, the film of the week for you is probably going to be Twenty One Bridges, is it? I think it is going to be Twenty One Bridges. I really enjoyed that a lot, and I'd watch it again happily. I haven't seen as many of you this week, obviously, but um, I would say for uh, just I think for me it would probably be Jungle Round <laughs> because okay. I I like films. Um, where you chuck it on and it's got someone in it, like I know Stone Cold Steve Austin or like a you know some wrestler or some martial artist, and you think actually that's that's, that's good. <laughs> it's always a nice surprise. So I really yeah. like Jungle Ground, and um, yeah, like Haywire was a bit of a disappointment, although it was yeah. fun, but it was generic. Child's Play was kind of as good as it could have been, but I had no real hopes for it. But yeah, Jungle Ground, I I, I liked it, and obviously like you know he's blessed me dead a few years ago, so it's nice to go through his oeuvre. And yeah. uh, w- w- watch some gold. Yeah. So, Twenty-one Bridges and Jungle Ground, two classics. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, and both got shades of the Warriors and Escape from New York, so that's good. Yeah, there's definitely a theme. That's obviously our thing. <laughs> Absolutely, my theme. Um, yeah. So that's it. Uh, so, what, so, have you got any? I haven't got any. I'm going to watch. Over the next few weeks, obviously, some of the ones you mentioned today. But have you got any others that you've got to watch or you've got lined up? Um, nothing I've got to watch. Uh, I don't think I've kind of gone through the ones I've got recently. Um, we we started watching The Witches today, the absolutely bizarre Nicholas Rogue film from the early 90s. It's the one with like Angelica Houston. Uh, it's uh, sorry, is it The Witches of Eastwick? No, just the witches. Oh right, okay. Roll no, doll adaptation. Oh, okay. It is bizarre. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's what you get for you bring in Nicholas Rogue. You know, you director Don't Look Now. That's your horror director for kids. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> really bizarre. cerebral. Yeah. Kind of breakdown of a marriage. We'll get him in for kids. Roll doll film. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the film they're remaking. Um, which is fine. What are they remaking? The witches. So, yeah. I just it's, hope they keep some practical makeup, but they won't. But, you know. It's probably going to be much lighter of touch now, isn't it? I oh, yeah, say. I would say so. But then it probably should be, because to be honest, I mean, Nicholas Rogue's version is just, it's 
really, really dark, like to the point where I actually feel a bit uncomfortable even watching it now. What um, rating was it? It was like PG, I think. Brilliant. It's, yeah. It's not just, yeah, anyway, I'll get into it like next time. But yeah, it's not even just like the content. It's just the style of it. You would not be able to get away with making a film in that that weird, almost realist style now either. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So we'll talk about that next time. Nice. Well, yeah, that's all I've got. So, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll end be, this. And can you stay on the line after I stop recording? Yes. Okay, then. Bye-bye.